0: chapter 11 of john deane of nottingham historic adventures by land and sea this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by dion jones salt lake city utah john deane of nottingham historic adventures by land and sea by william henry giles kingston chapter 11 jack's visit to mr gournay the story of madame la mertens evening was drawing on when brinsmead and jack saw the towers of the numerous churches which norwich possessed each situated on its own peculiar mound or hill on entering the town they proceeded through its narrow and winding streets to the bare inn which brinsmead usually frequented there is time to present your letters this evening he observed to jack when there's business to be done there's nothing like doing it immediately it's provoking to find when you have delayed that the person whom you wish to meet has left the town the morning after your arrival when you might have found him had you gone to his abode immediately jack nothing loath prepared himself to call upon mr gournay he liked old brinsmead very well in his way but could not help sighing for more refined society than his late companions afforded he therefore put on his sunday suit and made himself as presentable as possible he had no difficulty in finding his way to mr gournay's handsome and substantial residence it being one of the principal mansions in the place the great merchant himself was out but he was admitted into the presence of the mistress of the family who received him with a sweet and matronly grace she wore her soft brown hair without the addition of any false curls a rich gray silk gown woven by the huguenot weavers in spitalfields a norwich crape shawl and fine flemish cambric in her cap neckerchief and ruffles although it was the customs for ladies of rank to wear rouge as thick as paste she wore none she made many inquiries after her esteemed friends mr and mrs Strelly, as well as jack's father and mother and invited him to remain for their evening meal which was to be served as soon as mr gournay and the other gentlemen inmates of their family returned while they were speaking four young boys came into the room whom mrs gournay introduced as her sons they were followed by a tall and graceful lady in deep mourning no longer young but bearing traces of considerable beauty i must make you known to my friend and inmate madame de mertens said mrs garnet she speaks english perfectly having resided with us for some years since she was compelled by the popish government of france to quit her native country ah yes and i have found a happy and quiet home here said the lady if those i have lost could be restored to me I would willingly abandon all hopes of regaining the fortune and estate I once enjoyed. "'Ah, Monsieur Dean, she exclaimed, after some further conversation had passed between them. "'How can any English people regret their popish king? "'I am told that even now, among your noblest families, "'there are some ready to risk life and fortune to bring him back. "'See what ours has done for us.' Think of the atrocities of his barbarous dragoons in our Protestant districts. Peaceful homes given up to pillage, to fire, and the sword. The best of our pastors flogged and tortured in other ways, imprisoned in loathsome dungeons. What do I say? Worse, oh, worse than all. The horrors of the galleys reserved for the noblest and best. For such as my own dear husband, Eugene, "'who, if he still lives, may yet be laboring at the oar "'among slaves and outcasts of all nations. "'Oh, may heaven in mercy rescue him from such an existence.' "'She ceased, for her feeling, roused by the recollection "'of the terrible scene she had gone through, "'overcame her power of speech. "'She hid her face for some moments in her hands. "'I should not have ventured to speak on this subject,' she said when she again looked up my husband was dutch of an old family but when he married me he became naturalized as a frenchman for a few years after our marriage we lived a life of tranquillity and happiness in a chateau which i had inherited removed from the turmoil of the world and political strife we had only one child a fair-haired blue-eyed little damsel with bright rosy cheeks and a happy, joyous smile on her countenance. At length, however, fearful troubles broke upon us on their revocation of the Edict of Nantes just ten years ago. It was a time fatal to Protestants who ventured to remain in the country. Many of the best and noblest in the land fled from persecution. Some effected their escape, but many were overtaken and were executed, or are still groaning in prisons, or, like my dear husband, in the galleys. My dear sister and her husband had come to reside with us, hoping that in our secluded abode they would escape observation. Her health was delicate, and on that fatal night, when the dragoons burst into our house and carried off my brother-in-law, so greatly was she affected that her spirits gave way, and in a few days afterwards she sank to rest from this troubled world." My brother-in-law was heartbroken at the loss of his wife. He little knew how soon he was to follow her. My husband was absent from the house when one evening I received notice that some officers of justice, as they were called, were approaching, in search of Protestants. I had just time to snatch up my little Elise and to hurry off to the woods, where, in a hut which had been prepared by a faithful attendant and known only to him, we were able to conceal ourselves my dear husband not aware of the personages who had possession of our house returned late in the evening having missed those who were on the watch to give him notice of what had occurred he was instantly seized and carried off for trial before the government officials who had been sent to the neighborhood for that purpose he like a faithful servant of our blessed master refused to deny him or to acknowledge the truth of any of the dogmas of rome he was accordingly condemned to the galleys a fearful fate he was immediately marched off with many others condemned for the same crime to one of the naval ports but from that day to this i have had no tidings of him and if he has survived the hardships he has had to undergo he is still labouring at the oar in one of those dreadful ships enduring the worst kind of slavery for life alone will terminate it. My poor brother-in-law was also captured, and refusing to recant, he was treated, being a Frenchman, even more severely than my husband, for he was first tortured. Still holding out, the barbarians placed him on the cruel wheel, where, while still alive, his bones were broken, and he, as did many other faithful Protestants, expired, though in fearful torments still crying to their lord and master and acknowledging his love and the efficacy of the perfect sacrifice he offered for them our faithful pierre the steward of our estate having collected all the jewels and other property which he could find brought them to me and urged me on no account to return to the chateau being sure that both elise and i should be sacrificed to the fury of our enemies having friends in england i resolved forthwith to escape to this country i will not trouble you with my various adventures as i endeavoured to make my way with little elise in my arms to the sea-coast the poor people in the villages through which i passed compassionating me and my little girl gave us all the assistance in their power often some honest farmer though at considerable risk to himself would drive me some distance concealed in his wagon in the direction i wished to go Thus I at length reached the neighborhood of the north coast, where I hoped to find a vessel which would convey me to the shores of England. I had already gained the beach, when in consequence of the waves breaking on the shore there was great difficulty in embarking. Fearing that Elise might receive some harm, should I attempt to hold her while getting into the boat, I committed her to the charge of a seaman. An officer, he seemed of some sort, who told me he was going off with us. A considerable number of other people were about to embark in the same vessel, and were crowding down to the edge of the water, when there was a cry that the dragoons were advancing towards us. I in vain attempted to reach the boat. Other people were crowding in, and the seamen, afraid that some accident would happen from her being overloaded, shoved her off into deep water. In vain I entreated that Elise might be restored to me, or that I might be taken on board. "'The dragoons! the dragoons!' shouted the people all around me. "'Come, madame, this is no place for you.' I heard a person say close to me. He seized my arm and almost dragged me along the beach. "'I know of a place near here where you can be concealed,' he said. "'I will conduct you to it. There is no time to lose.' Again I entreated him to look for Elise. "'That will be useless,' he answered.' She is in God's hands, and he will preserve her. You can do nothing now. He forced me on, and I could not indeed help feeling the justice of his remarks. Assisted on by him, we reached some rocks, amid which he worked his way, even though it was dark, showing that he was well acquainted with the spot. After going on for some time longer, I found that we were in front of a small cave— go in there he said in a low voice it is large enough to contain many people and i have stored it with food for such an emergency as this the stranger then told me that he was the protestant pastor of the neighbouring district and that though compelled to quit his church he still ministered in secret among his former flock who supplied him with food and warned him of the approach of danger he had devoted himself to assisting those protestants who less fortunate than himself, came to that part of the coast. I am aware, he said, that at any moment I may be discovered, and yet I feel that I am called to this work. God, in his mercy, has thought fit to preserve me from the hands of my persecutors. Supplied with food and other necessaries by this brave and good man, I remained for several days in the cave. He had a sad account to give me of the fate of most of the fugitives who had been unable to get on board the vessel. Some were cruelly sabred by the dragoons, even though crying for quarter. Others, men, women, young and old, and children, were lifted up on their horses and carried off at full speed to the neighboring town, where they were thrown into the dungeons, already crowded with prisoners. At length the good pastor considered it safe to conduct me to a lonely farmhouse, where he told me I must remain till he could arrange for my passage to england i longed to go in the hopes of recovering my dear little elise nearly a month passed before he was able to make the desired arrangements i wished to pay the good people with whom i had lived but they would receive no remuneration and insisted on carrying me in a cart to the beach where the boat was ready to receive me a gale came on soon after we were at sea and we were driven up the channel till we were off the town of Yarmouth, where at length I landed. Some co-religionists of the good Mr. Gournay, living in that town, hearing of my arrival, received me in their house, and from thence I came on to Norwich, where I have ever since resided. In vain I have made inquiries for my dear little Elise, greatly helped by my kind friends in this house, but no news have I received of her. You, I am told, Monsieur Dean, are likely to be constantly moving about the country, and it is possible that you may thus hear of the little girl, should she have escaped. But she must have greatly grown since the time you speak of, observed Dean. It was fully ten years ago, was it not? Ah, yes, yes, answered Madame de Martins, but she cannot be so changed that I should not know her. And you may hear, among the Huguenot families, of a little orphan girl, though I fear, alas, that there are many, many such. I will show her picture to you, as I conceive her to be, and that perhaps may help you. I have drawn it often and often, for my great delight is to think of the little girl, and of my dear husband also. You would not know him, though. I fear if he survives, so greatly changed must he be by the hardships and barbarities he has gone through.' compared to his my own fate has been fortunate thanks to the generosity of my kind friends in this house and others i have also been able to support myself by teaching and have even had it in my power to help others of my countrymen who required assistance but still the picture of my dear husband in that dreadful slave ship is constantly coming before me and often and often i think of my beloved child thrown among strangers who may too probably be of an inferior class unable to give her instruction or perhaps papists who will bring her up in a faith so contrary to that for which her father died and those who love her suffered jack much interested in what he heard promised faithfully to lose no opportunity of making inquiries for the little elise who however by that time must have been fifteen years of age a fact which her mother, when first describing her, seemed to have overlooked. When Jack afterwards told Brinsmead of the commissions he had undertaken, the old man smiled somewhat grimly, as was his wont when he smiled at all, saying, "'I am afraid it will be something like looking for a needle in a stack of hay. But at the same time the needle may be found, so I do not tell you not to do your best,' To execute the poor lady's wishes madame de mertens had just brought her history to a conclusion when mr gournay accompanied by giles dainsforth entered the room friend dean i am truly glad to see thee he said taking dean by the hand i have heard of thee from friend dainsforth here and of thy family and i trust that anon we shall become better acquainted thou hast an honest face and if thou art diligent in business, thou art sure to gain the competency which is all that a man need desire in this life, and albeit its wealth flows on in some by God's providence. Remember, shouldst thou ever possess it, that wealth may prove a snare and temptation to thee, even as great as want and poverty is to some men. Thou wilt have need of prayer for guidance even as much as thou hast at present, for the devil is ever going about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, and the rich man may prove as dainty a morsel to him as the poor one. But above all does he delight in feeding upon those who have a name to lose, those who are ensigns and leaders in their church, elders and deacons and such like. However thou hast been journeying all day, and I will not speak to thee more of this subject at present so come with us, that thou mayest recruit thine inner man. Saying this, the hospitable and generous Quaker led the way to his handsome parlour. Though his own dress was simple, for he had abjured ruffles and periwig, and wore neither sword, nor lace on his cloak, nor clocks to his stockings, yet it was of the best material, and in no way different in form, from that of other wealthy merchants and commoners, while the apartment into which he ushered his guest was richly furnished, and the table was covered with a handsome service of plate and china. Giles Dainsforth, who, though not a Quaker, was dressed with Puritan simplicity, was a tall, strongly built young man, with intelligent, though not refined features. He welcomed Jack warmly, as the brother of one to whom he was engaged— mr gournay treated him with a respect and consideration which showed that he had confidence in his integrity jack thus at once made himself at home and he could not help contrasting his present position to the life he had been leading for so many days his host john gournay who was born in sixteen fifty five was the founder of the family who have since become known for their wealth and liberality at an early day he had joined the society of friends or quakers as they were called and established himself as a merchant at norwich where he had become the owner of several manufactories it was greatly in consequence of the encouragement and support which he gave to the french protestant refugees that he was enabled to lay the foundation of the vast wealth of the family in trade which their industry supplied his generosity liberality and industry being thus speedily rewarded by the hand of providence his silk and wool mills were the best then in england for the usual norwich manufactures as also for other delicate productions such as crape shawls and dress fabrics although somewhat grave and formal in his discourse to strangers at his genial board his formality soon disappeared and jack deane as has been said passed a pleasanter evening than he had enjoyed for some time although profane music was not indulged in mistress gournay and madame de mertens sang some very sweet and touching hymns which went more to jack's heart than any music he had ever heard giles Dainsforth insisted on accompanying jack back to his inn to which he wished to return though hospitably pressed to remain by mr gournay Dainsforth, of course, had many inquiries to make about Jack's family, and especially about Kate. He confided to Jack his intention of seeking his fortune in the new colony in America, established by Master William Penn, the son of the celebrated admiral. "'As to worldly wealth, dear Jack,' he said, "'I might gain that in England, but of freedom of conscience and freedom of worship we may at any time be deprived, I fear. Our present king,' may heaven preserve him, is liberal, but there are many malignants yet in the country who are striving for place and power, and we know not what other reign may bring forth. Other acts of conformity may be passed, and I cannot forget the cruel way in which our divines were treated in the last reign, when they were cast out on the cold world to gain their livelihood as best they could, by those who sought to obtain only the loaves and fishes which their livings afforded but will my father agree to let sister kate cross the ocean and leave him for ever asked jack thy father is a man of sense answered dainsforth in most things he agrees with me albeit he is more inclined to associate with malignants than i approve of yet he too sees how the wind blows and if he thinks it is for the happiness of thy sister kate he will not prevent her following the bent of her inclinations. Often has she said to me, "'Where thou goest I will go,' and therefore, without undue presumption, I may hope that she will consent to accompany me across the wide ocean to the land of promise. It is a beautiful and rich country, Jack. I would that thou wouldst make up thy mind to come with us. We might there, in a new England, enjoy that peace and prosperity, and liberty of conscience and freedom to worship god as we list which may be denied us in this old country the idea was quite a new one to jack it had never occurred to him to seek his fortune abroad simply, probably because he had not been thrown in the way of persons who spoke on the subject he promised dainsforth however to consider the matter i will talk to thee anon more about it jack said dainsforth as they parted for a young man enjoying the health and strength that thou doest i cannot picture a finer calling than that of subduing the wilderness of turning a desert into a garden and producing fruitful cornfields out of wild land the vine and the olive and the orange flourish they say out there and that corn which they call maize with its golden head so rich and prolific and there are deer in the woods, and quail innumerable, and fish in the rivers, and in the sea which washes its coasts. Indeed all the wants of man can there be amply supplied. Dainesforth, having given a description of the new world to Jack, sufficient to keep him awake all the night with thinking of it, took his departure at length from the inn, promising to call for him on the morrow, and to assist him in transacting the business he had undertaken for Mr. Strelly and other friends in Nottingham. Dainsforth expressed his hope of meeting him ere long at Nottingham, to which place he expected to be sent in the course of the autumn on some business for Mr. Gournay. Jack was sorry when his visit to Norwich came to an end. End of chapter 11.